Well, it's good to see you here today. I hope that you had a a great Thanksgiving weekend and uh, had plenty to eat and good time with family and friends. And uh, it's good to have you back in this place of worship. It's a joy to welcome in those of you who are joining us live on the web, or maybe you're catching this later in the week in archived form. But either way, it's good to have you be a part of worship with us at Freedom Church today. Uh, We're in a series about the Holy Spirit uh, called The Release of the Spirit. And last week we... We sort of took a detour in asking the question, why are we here? And not to to rehash that, but to just remind you of a lot of the core uh, of the answer to that is a reminder that we're not here to just take up space and do religious ritual. We're here to honor the Lord, but we're here to take part in something that's life-changing, that's world-impacting. And a lot of the heart of what we saw last week is if we're going to be that kind of church, we can't turn the experience of the church into a spectator sport. Everybody has to do their part. Everybody has to step into the role that God has for them. And so what we're going to talk about today is very much at the heart of how you step into your role for what God has for you as we're going to talk today about spiritual gifts. It's really interesting and a little bit tragic to me to consider how few people feel like they have any real understanding of what their spiritual giftedness is. John Wimber has been one of the, really one of the wisest voices among the spirit-filled portion of the church in the last half century. And having spoken many times on this and related subjects, he said that uh, typically when he would speak to groups about the gifts of the Spirit and when he would ask for a show of hands, that usually about 10% of people would acknowledge having some idea of what their gifts are. And within that 10%, when he would ask for a show of hands, about one-tenth of that 10% would say that they felt like they were able to use their gifts in ministry somewhere to make a difference. That's kind of scary, isn't it? Now, I want to start by telling you some good news, and that is that every Christian, every believer under the sound of my voice, that you have spiritual gifts, and you are very much needed by the church. Now, I realize that when I say that, we're, we're probably sort of prone to feel like, oh, you're supposed to say that, you're my pastor, Right? It's kind of like your mom and dad when you were a kid and you were playing t-ball or football or you were doing dance or gymnastics and you were a real spaz when you were doing it and they still had to cheer for you. You know what I'm talking about. The stuff that you really weren't any good at but it was something you were supposed to be good at and so mom and dad said, oh honey, you're doing so good. I'm so proud of you. And you're thinking, no, I really stink. You're just saying that because you're my parent. Okay, I'm not being your parent. I'm not just kind of doing the pastor thing of going, oh, I'm sure you have some special gift. Maybe your gift is to smile. No, that ain't what we're talking about. You have been gifted by God in a way that really is important. And I know because I've, I've done this long enough that so many people at some level are writing this off kind of going, well, if I've got a gift, it must be a small one or it must be well wrapped and hidden or something because I don't see any significant gift being poured out through me. Let me say a couple of things to you on the front end about that. First of all, you are gifted, and it's a big deal, first of all, just to understand how you're gifted. But part of the deal is this. If you look at your life and you think, I don't see some big God gifting in my life. I don't see a lot of Holy Spirit power being expressed through my life. That may be because you don't know what your gifting is, and so you're not operating in that because you just don't even understand what that is. But I'll tell you, there's another part to the equation. You may not have received a significant part of your gifting yet. Have you ever considered that? It may be that you're not walking in it yet because 
it hasn't part of it hasn't come to you yet. Do you remember how Paul reminded Timothy in both of his letters to Timothy? In First Timothy, he said to him, "Don't you neglect the gift that was given to you by a prophetic word when the elders laid their hands on you." What's the implication of that statement? The implication is Timothy didn't have that gift before the elders laid their hands on him and somebody spoke a prophetic word to him, we would assume about how God had gifted him. Simple translation, he was already a Christian. There were gifts he didn't have yet until some people laid their hands on him, prayed for him, and he was open to receive that. He walked away from that gathering with some giftedness, some spiritual power in him that he didn't have when he walked in the room. Paul would write later in his very last letter and say to Timothy, Hey, you be sure to fan into flame the gift that was given you when I prayed for you. Paul was Timothy's mentor. And at some point down the line, there was an encounter between Paul and Timothy and the Holy Spirit where something else was imparted. And in that, Timothy was once again moved to a different level of ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you look at your life and you go, well... I've been a Christian for a real long time, and I don't see anything there that's all that significant. It may be that it just hasn't been uncovered, or it may be that it hasn't been imparted yet. And here's the cool thing. God is ready to pour those things out today. Our prayer going into this day is that some of us would understand and walk into that giftedness and embrace that, but that some of us would have something imparted today and this week that we would see fresh stuff stirred up in the body. Because as we said last week, there are gifts that we are not seeing significantly on display in the life of Freedom Church that are needed. And we want to embrace all of those things. We begin with the, the words of Peter in First Peter 4 when he said this, God has given each of you a gift. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got a gift. Oh, come on, with conviction. You've got a gift. And I've got a gift. Oh, come on now. You were weak on that. Tell them, I've got a gift. And I don't plan to waste it. There you go. God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. How are you supposed to use your gifts? Serving each other. He did not gift you so that you could go home and say, I feel better about me. My spiritual self-esteem has been lifted today. Thank you, Pastor. That is not what it's about. He's giving you gifts because the body needs them. The world needs them. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have gifts of speaking? Then speak as though God Himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with the strength and the energy that God provides. Then everything that you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. When you use your giftedness, two things happen. The body is strengthened and God gets glory. As you will see today, there are gifts, there are particular kinds of gifts that when they're on display, people can't help but go, man, that is God. That is only the power of God. God gets much glory, but when the gifts are used as they should be, the body is always strengthened. So we begin by saying everybody's gifted and they're needed by the church. Now moving along, there's a real fundamental thing that I want you to understand because I, I I don't think that the whole idea of spiritual gifts makes sense unless you grasp this. There are two different kinds of spiritual, what what we just kind of clump together as spiritual gifts. Two different types, and I want you to understand the difference. Because the first type, everybody, you'll find your place 
in the first type that we'll talk about. Because it's really not about some supernatural power in you so much as it is a spiritual description of how God has wired you. The second type that we're going to talk about has to do with the power of God being poured out on your life in a unique way. And we really need to get an understanding of those things. So we're going to start today by talking about the motivational spiritual gifts, which really do define how God has wired us to think and to act. Think of these as sort of spiritual personality types or spiritual passions. Okay, are you with me? There are seven of these. And I personally believe that this is a complete list. This is not an open-ended list. You will find yourself somewhere in this list of, of these seven spiritual graces. In Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 8, Paul says, In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Now, I, I love the NIV, but I'm going to tell you this whole passage that I'm reading today. The NIV is a, is a dynamic translation. It's not a word-for-word translation, and, and they don't do a stellar job of translating this passage. It reads much more meaningfully in the Greek. For starters, the opening word there in his grace, it's it's the word charis, and it's easier to make the connection in the Greek. Because when he goes on to say, uh, you're given different gifts, the word there, he says, "In, in God's charis, in God's grace, he has distributed to each of us charismata. Different gifts of grace. In, it's, in other words, he's saying, out of the abundance of God's grace, this thing in God where he's just overflowing with what he wants to give away, out of his own grace, God has poured out onto us gifts of grace. So that there's something deposited in each one of us that just wells up in us. It's our passion. It's who we are. And, and the way the NIV treats this, it actually inserts some words that it is, it's a very dynamic translation because they're not... There, because the, when he when they say in the NIV for doing certain certain things well, it sort of sounds like God's given you this special talent, and it's really the idea that's being communicated here is not so much about talent as it is about just an overload of of just of grace and of passion. It is this thing that's poured into you, and it's if it were just a talent then that would imply that God just dumps on you an ability to be good at this. And when you really understand this part of spiritual gifting, you're not born good at these things. For instance, as you'll see, one of the the graces that he names is teaching. And let me just tell you, nobody is born a good teacher. God doesn't pour it out on somebody, the talent of teaching, and you just teach great from day one. It doesn't work that way. What God pours into you is out of His grace, He pours into you a gift of grace so that you now have this passion and this drive and this ability to lavish onto others this incredible passion that you have. And so this is the thing that He's talking about. It it defines who you are and what drives you. So He says, uh, so if God has given you the ability or the, the passion to prophesy, speak, With as much faith as God has given you, if your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if God, uh, and if you have a gift of of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Now, I want to say a, a very brief word about all seven of these, and I want you to consider where you see yourself if you're married where you see your mate fitting into this list. 
because one of the things that's really helpful is when you understand the people around you and how they're wired, it's so much easier to love and appreciate them. As you're going to see, some of these gifts are, stand in sharp contrast to each other. Some of them look to be almost polar opposites. And you're liable to find that some of the people in the church and maybe even in your family that drive you the craziest, it may very well be because of how they're wired by God. They've been given a grace for something very different from you. We start with the grace of prophecy. This is probably the one that people struggle the most to understand. This is a grace that, that is very discerning. Prophets are, are one of the discerning gifts within the body. They have an ability to discern Sin and righteousness, right and wrong, and they live in a world that is very black and white to their eyes and their understanding. Prophets have a grace for always wanting to see people right with God. They want to be right with God, and they want to help everybody else get right with God. And so that comes across pushy a lot of times, spiritually pushy. And that comes across many times as being spiritually judgmental, as like, you know, why are you always so harsh? Why are you always wanting to, you know, kind of and verbally shake your finger at people and tell them what they need to do to get right. And it, and it really does drive other people in the body crazy. But it's this grace that they have that they really do long to see everybody right with God. It is a drive to declare the word and the will of God that calls for repentance. Now that's a good thing, isn't it? It is. It is, by the way. It's a good thing. But it's got to be expressed right. Prophets have to learn to express that grace with some grace. Otherwise, everybody's going to hate them. And, and they do, by the way, tend to be the most isolated people within the body. Because everything's so black and white. And, the, and it's a verbal gift. And they're just, they're so straightforward. And just, this is how it is. Bless God. You can take it and do with it what you want to. That's a real prophetic way of doing things. Okay, that's the gift or, or the grace of prophecy. The second one that he names is that of service. Service is the easiest one to understand. Servants are easy to pick out because that is the grace that is, that is discerning in the sense that people who have this spiritual grace, they always see what needs to be done and they just instinctively migrate toward doing it and they love to roll up their sleeves and get their hands on it and they love manual tasks. They love having something to do that helps to free other people up to do other more important things but they love to be able to get hands on in doing what needs to be done and the people with the gift of service really struggle to understand why the rest of us don't see what needs to be done. And if you've got the gift of service, you know what I'm talking about. That you get frustrated looking around going, why are you asking me what to do? Can't you see what needs to be done? This drives me crazy. Please understand if you have the gift of, the ser of service, we don't see it. We don't. If you'd tell us what to do, we'd help. But you have a gift not only for doing it, but for seeing it. If you have the gift of service, you hate to be in charge. You hate to delegate. You would far rather be the one delegated to. You'd rather be the one just getting it done and you abhor the idea of being the one just sort of supervising. That would drive you crazy to have to organize and supervise everyone because you would far rather get your hands on the mop or in the dishwater or setting up or, or in some way serving others. People with the, the gift of service, I'm, gonna, I'm intentionally at the end trying to point out a negative that can manifest itself because I found that many times people will fail to recognize their strengths for whatever reason, we, like we won't say our own strengths, but we'll identify with our weakness and a lot of times we'll go, oh yeah, that is me. People with the gift of service 
have a hard time saying no. Very hard time telling other people no. And may be like, you know, the painter whose house who never gets painted because they're always painting somebody else's house. The person with the gift of service may or may not have a super tidy house because they'll overcommit themselves taking care of everybody else. And may not leave much margin for relationships that matter most or for tending to their own home and flock. The third gift is that of teaching. The grace of teaching. This is probably the most misunderstood of the gifts. Not hardest to understand, the most misunderstood because people will naturally go, Oh, if somebody is talented, if they're skilled as a teacher, they must have the spiritual gift of teaching. Not necessarily the case. Oftentimes not the case. Because you see, again, we're not talking talents here. We're talking passions. We're talking spiritual grace. And the difference is this. The spiritual grace of teaching is about somebody who has a passion for learning. And that passion overflows to other people. The the easiest way, and it's so easy to discern somebody who has the gift of teaching. Because they love to study. They love the study portion. Most of the other gifts ain't so crazy about that. There are other gifts that teach really well or can preach really well. But the study is work. The person with the gift of teaching just is so passionate about truth. Truth has the power to change me. Truth has the power to change you. So study, read, read, read. And, you know, oftentimes people with the gift of teaching are very intelligent because they just, they enjoy reading and study. And they just, again, that's the grace poured into them. And so that's the grace that spills over onto others. But if you don't work at developing the skill of teaching, the gift of teaching can bore the rest of us to death. Why? Because you just were passionate about just read it all, take it all in. And then when you go to communicate it, you've got to communicate all of that. And every prophet in the room is going, would you make your point, please? Would you get to the bottom line? Cut to the chase. Tell me why you're here. And a person with the gift of teaching is like, I've got to make you understand how this fits from Genesis to Revelation. The big picture, you've got to get it all. And most of the rest of the body is kind of going, I wish you had just sort of figured out what the bottom line was and told us that before we dropped off into sleep. Teachers have to work at the skill of teaching because their passion is about absorbing and understanding truth and then communicating that. So the gift of teaching, the weakness can be overkill, being too long-winded, and it can be a struggle with making application, which leads to the fourth gift that's mentioned, and that is the gift of encouragement or exhortation. People with the gift of exhortation... They love and are passionate about helping other people get to a better place. Whether it's getting to a better place in terms of of relationships or how they see themselves or how they're doing spiritually. They love to encourage people and help other people move along. And they love sharing their personal experiences and their personal stories to help make that happen. People with the gift of exhortation, it's definitely one of the strongest verbal gifts within the church. You enjoy listening to exhorters preach and teach because they're just engaging and their stories are so personal that it's like, man, yeah, I like that. Pastors are popular who are exhorters because they they use stories really well and we relate well to stories. Exhorters tend to be good at counseling, good at teaching. But the, the potential weakness for an exhorter, if they don't work at what they do, is everything is so designed around, let me tell you a story, and three, they love to give you like three steps to live a more victorious life. You know, they can give you a recipe for how to get to a better place. But it's easy for exhorters 
to fail to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God in their teaching because it's, it's so much about, let me tell you my experience, let me tell you what happened to me. And that, apart from the Word of God, can, can be lacking in power and can actually kind of get off base if we're not careful. So exhorters really need to stay rooted in the truth. Um, the fifth one is the gift of giving. That one's not hard to understand. The grace of giving is a passion for using your money your other material resources, and your time to supply the needs of others. Givers are another of, uh, they are among the most discerning of the gifts within the body. They have an ability to really discern the hearts of people. And part of the reason that they're gifted this way is they are designed in such a way that they will go, I mean, way above and beyond to meet the needs of other people. But God has given them an ability to discern who's legit and who's a phony. But that ability actually is in play and it works not just in situations where there's a financial need. God gives grace givers an ability to really be discerning about the hearts of men and women. And I mean, it's really kind of scary how effective that can be that they can just encounter somebody and oftentimes in a moment of time just go, ooh, I've got a really bad vibe about that person. Very, very quickly because God gives them great discernment. That discernment is designed in large part so that they have an ability to home in on where they need to pour out their time and resources to meet the needs of others. Now, givers are extremely generous, but they're extremely generous where they discern that there is a legitimate need and that the person will use what is given to them in the right way. A a grace giver, boy, they will just... They will shut it down the moment that they discern that a person is not right, that they're going to misuse this, and they are not the least bit interested in giving in that, that kind of direction. So that's, that's the grace of giving. Uh, the sixth one is the spiritual grace of leadership. Other translations will say organization or rulers. This one's not hard to understand. Uh, leaders... Or, oh, by the way, they're among the least discerning of the gifts. Leaders and, and teachers and exhorters would be some of those that are not among the most discerning. But what they can see and discern is the big picture. Leaders have a, a significant role to play within the body because God graces leaders with an ability to see the big picture for the whole organization for the whole family, for the whole body. Not only to understand where we are, but to understand where we're supposed to be. And God gives them an ability to discern every step along the way. How we get from where we are to where God wants us to be and how every person is supposed to fit into that. God just wires leaders to be able to see that and to help make that happen. They have an ability to communicate vision so that people see where they belong in this. But understand this about leaders. They are great at delegating typically. But the weakness of, of leadership can be that because they are so wired to, to look and think globally and to delegate and to try and help everybody get where they belong, leaders can become lazy or be seen as lazy because they are on the opposite end from servants. Servants are busy getting the job done and leaders are just organizing it all. And it's easy for a leader to miss out on the doing because they just were content to figure it all out. And then the final gift is the grace of kindness or giving mercy. This is the opposite end from the prophet. These are people who understand the joy of sharing in the hurt of another person. And for the rest of the body, we're kind of going, the joy of sharing in a hurt? Yep, that's exactly what they, they get. 
People with the gift of mercy have this amazing grace to walk in a room full of people and in a very short span of time to be able to discern who the people are who are hurting, who are broken, who are in need, who need some love, attention, and care. And they have an ability to pull up alongside and to, to share in that hurt and to give something of themselves away. This is not a financial giving away. It's a giving away of their heart and of, and of their sympathy and empathy so that another person just feels loved and safe around them. Now, people who have the gift of mercy, they are actually among the discerning gifts within the body because they really do discern where people are in terms of what they're feeling, how they're doing. Problems for people with the gift of mercy can often be that they uh, have a hard time being direct, have a very hard time being confrontational. If difficult truth needs to be spoken, a mercy is going to run and hide rather than than say the hard thing they're going to want to run and hide. It's just very difficult to do that. And a person with a gift of mercy, when they have found somebody who's hurt, and by the way, this is not about physical hurt. This is one of the quirks about the gift of mercy. They will die with someone who is hurting. You know, their, their heart just breaks for them. If, you, if your heart is broken, they'll come and they'll be broken hearted for you. But if your arm is broken, they don't really care. They, they do not particularly sympathize with physical pain. They sympathize with emotional pain. It really is an odd quirk. Like, you know, the, the, the cry of the gift of mercy can be suck it up cupcake if, if you're just physically in pain. You know, if, But if your heart is hurting, I'm there for you kind of thing. So people with the gift of mercy, when they identify with somebody who's really hurting and going through a difficult time, can become so connected to that person that they will oftentimes take up an offense for them. So whoever hurt the person, you know, if I've got the gift of mercy and I found somebody who needs love and I'm, I'm being there for them and now I realize, oh, you're the dirty dog who hurt them, oh, they will take up an offense like that. And now suddenly they are madder for the person that they love than that person is toward the person who hurt them. So built-in issue for them there. So, all right, seven spiritual graces. You're in there somewhere. And if you said, well, there are two or three of those things that really kind of feel or sound like me, that, that's okay. That, that's not a problem. Because as you mature in your faith, you're going to see more and more of those graces manifest in your life. But there are one or two that are actually more dominant for you and for the people who are close around you. I spent a lot of my life believing that I was a prophet because some people who I loved and trusted told me that I was a prophet. And it took a really long time to realize that that was not my gifting. And, you know, part of the reason that I came to realize that was I realized I don't have the discernment of a prophet. That's a really hard thing for a pastor to say, by the way. It's a hard thing for anybody to say. But I I don't have one of the more discerning gifts. That ought to scare you a little bit because I'm your pastor and I don't have one of the very discerning gifts. I am not... It's taken me years to come to terms with this. I am not especially discerning about people. And I've told myself for years that I am and I'm not. That's not how I'm wired. And, and here's the deal. You don't get to choose your wiring. I mean, you may look down that list and go, oh, I think I'd like to be an exhorter. They sound like happy, fun people. Well, sorry, you don't get to choose. God wired you. And, and you don't get to like... Again, this isn't skill. This isn't something, oh, well, if I try, I can learn the skill to be an exhorter or to be a mercy. No, you can't. If you're a prophet, you're going to stink at mercy probably for all of your life. Hopefully in time, it will get harder in some ways for people to discern your gift because you'll grow in other graces. Now, I will point something out about the gifts that's that's sort of intriguing to know. Take a pen 
And on your list, I want you to just draw a line connecting the first and last gifts. Prophecy along with kindness and mercy. Just draw a line connecting those two. Draw a line connecting the second and the next to last. Service and leadership. And then one more line connecting teaching with encouragement or exhortation. It's just one of those little interesting things that, that's helpful to know. These are complementary gifts. It almost seems like a misfit to use that word. It's a nice way of saying they're polar opposites. Mercy and prophets. If you don't understand each other, you'll drive each other crazy. Because the prophet's looking at the mercy going, Why can't you just be man enough or woman enough to tell the truth? Speak the truth! Stand for the truth! And the mercy's going, You are such a mean, mean person. Why are you always so judgmental and harsh? You, you get what I'm saying. The two need each other. The prophet needs a mercy giver to teach you how to be compassionate and sensitive. You can speak the truth in love. And the mercy can learn to speak the truth to the people that they love. Teachers and exhorters, they need each other. We, we pair them up like that. Why, why would those two need each other? Because an exhorter needs the truth and a teacher learns, needs to learn to be practical. A teacher would be content to stand here and give you a long Bible lesson, a long history lesson, and along the way you're going, could you please give me a handle somewhere to grab hold of that and figure out how in the world that applies to my life. And an exhorter is good at at making those applications, but the exhorter needs the teacher's groundedness in the Word of God. And it's easy to see why servants and leaders need each other. Servants love to have somebody give direction. Define the structure and the plan. And leaders need servants to remind them that, that we've all got a time and a role to play where we all roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty. And we look at it and say, well, the gifters aren't connected, gift givers aren't connected to anybody. Actually, they're connected to everybody because they support the entire body. And they challenge the whole body in a culture that's so filled with greed how to be gracious in giving. So, does that make sense how those kind of fit together? All right, we're going to move on. Have you got any questions about that? Any questions at all? You're not used to being asked that in a big church, are you? Make sense? Okay, just remember, concerning what we've just described, think again, spiritual passions, spiritual graces, spiritual personality type. This is the thing that has been you for a long, long time. Now we're going to shift gears. We're going to move from motivational charismata, motivational graces, to now the power stuff. We're going to talk about the manifestation gifts. If you want to turn in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 12 is where we're going or it's in your outline. But we're going to talk now about the manifestational gifts, which are supernatural outpourings of God's power on individuals. This is where it really gets interesting. Paul says in, in one passage that's sort of a keystone to understanding that there are different types of of giftings, He says, there are different kinds of gifts. Now, this is the same word he used in Romans 12. There are different kinds of charismata. There are different graces that God in His grace lavishes on us. So we've seen that. But the same Spirit distributes each of those graces. There are different kinds of service. This is diakonos. It's, uh, that word that, it's a word picture for the, the, the dust cloud. It's a picture of somebody so busy working so hard serving that they kick up a cloud of dust. 
And by that, he's talking about roles in service. So he's saying there's a bunch of different spiritual passions and, and personality types out there, but there are also a bunch of different roles in service that different ones could serve in different ways. But he says, you know, it's the same Lord that gives us these different roles in service. But now a third area. There are different kinds of working. That Greek word there is energamaton. The point being, it's, it's the word, root word for energy. Power. There are different ways that the power of God is poured out. Different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God working. So you get this. Okay, there's different personality types. There's different places that you can serve, but there are also different outpourings of power from God. And now he's going to talk about that last one. The different ways that the power of God is expressed. And, and so in that regard, he says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That's the term manifestation gifts. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. How did we confuse that, that last line? The power of the Spirit is manifest in a multitude of ways, and He, the Spirit, determines exactly what He's going to give to each person. How did we turn that into everybody's supposed to have the gift of tongues? And the church has been doing this for 2,000 years. Paul gives a three-chapter, a long three-chapter exposition, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. The whole thing is on spiritual gifts. And he spends most of chapter 14, which is a really long chapter, in trying to clear up this silly misunderstanding that the gifts of tongues, gift of tongues is the be-all, end-all spiritual gift that everybody needs to speak in tongues, and you haven't got it until you're speaking in tongues. And he, he just goes out of his way to go, that's crazy. It's the least of the gifts. Why are you thinking this? The Spirit gives different gifts to different people, and it's totally up to him. So stop thinking that's the, the end-all gift. It's the least important of the gifts. Those are Paul's words. And 2,000 years later, we're chasing the same stupid stuff. Why do we do this? I know why, but... I'm not going to go back and unpack that because there are three times in Acts that people spoke in tongues and we said, look, everybody's got to do it that way. Well, if you get together in a town where people from 50 different countries have all shown up and they don't speak the same language and the Spirit of God comes in power, there's a good chance the gift of tongues is going to be big that day. But on an average day in an average church, Paul says the gift of tongues is the least of the gifts. And he said we ought to pursue the greater gifts that build up the church. He gives us a list of nine it is not a complete list. There are lots of different gifts, but it gives us nine that are important in the life of the church. I'm going to say a very quick word about these nine just to clarify what he's talking about. Uh, he starts with message of wisdom. That, that's one of the very easiest to understand. It is just a supernatural empowering to discern solutions, answers. What, what are we going to do? How are we going to solve this problem? What do we do in this relational situation? We're in a quandary. What do we do? And God just pours out incredible divine insight on certain people, an ability to just provide solutions that they never would have thought of, which is different from message of knowledge. 
We all get there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Well, spiritually speaking, there's a big difference because a message of knowledge is a different deal. That's not about, oh, I thought of a great solution. I just had a great idea. I think God may have given me this idea. No, word of knowledge is about inside information. Uh, classic example of this. Jesus and the woman at the well, when he's, Jesus gets left alone while the disciples go into town, and a woman comes up, and he has this exchange with the woman, and in the course of the conversation, Jesus says, why don't you call your husband? And she's like, oh, well, uh, I'm not married. And he's like, you're right, you're not married. You're just living with the man that you're with right now, and you've already been married five times. And she's like, ooh, you don't have the gift of mercy, do you? She didn't really say that. But I'm sure it's how it felt. How did Jesus know that? It's not like she had a tattoo or something that, that gave that away. The Spirit of God whispered that to him. He just gave a message of knowledge. Message of knowledge is when God gives you insider information that you could not have possibly known. And he just does that sometimes. It's like there's something that hasn't been revealed here. And it's going to be very helpful in the, in the conversation of the ministry that needs to happen for this to be brought to light. And the person was never going to say it. So I'm just going to go ahead and dump that information over here. And he'll just pour out insider information. And sometimes, oftentimes, that can be insider information that you know, may have to do with sin or bad choices or whatever. That a person wasn't willing to get out in the open and address. And God's saying, I want this person to experience repentance and real healing. And they're so afraid to voice this. I'm just going to go ahead and give that insider information to the person ministering to them so that they can, can just say, hey, is such and such going on? And in that moment, so many times people are like, how did you know? Well, I didn't. God just gave me a sense that that's what's going on. That's a message of, of knowledge. Uh, he references the gift of faith, profound gift. Faith is being able to believe God without doubting that he's about to do the impossible in a very specific area. Wouldn't you love to just always have the gift of faith? That when you pray, that you always pray in faith. Man, to have people who have the spiritual gift of faith. I mean, we're all called to be people of faith. But there are people who have a special grace to just believe God without doubting for the impossible. If you've ever known anybody with a gift of faith, they are great intercessors. They are the people you run to and say, hey, would you pray for this for me? Because when they pray, they're not just like, God, would you be with this situation? And then it's just kind of cast aside like it ain't going to happen. My prayers don't make any difference. The person who has the gift of faith, they know that when they pray, things are shaken in the heavenlies. It's a profound gift. The fourth thing that he mentions is the gift of healing. Now, everyone should be unafraid to pray for healing. God's healing power is prone to be poured out at different times in life through every single person within the body, just as any gift at any point in time can be expressed through us. But there are certain people who have a particular anointing for healing. Now, a lot of times people will run from this, and I grew up in a tradition where people run from this concept because it's like, well, if you've got the gift of healing, why don't you go clean out the hospital? I confess I've said that before when I used to be... More skeptical and less understanding of the gifts. It was like, I don't believe people have just got the gift of healing. Because if they did, they'd go clean out the hospital. That's not what this means. What this means is there is a greater level of anointing and power on a particular life. That more of the time, when they pray for somebody who's sick, a greater percentage of the time, people get well. And I've been around people who have that grace, who have that anointing. doesn't mean everybody that they pray for gets well. Jesus has got a better batting average than the rest of us, but some people have a better batting average than others. 
When I think of this gifting, I think of a, of a little, short African named Michael who lives in Tanzania, Tanzania, as they say. Michael Melly. He is he's a, he's a quiet, serious guy. He doesn't speak English very well, very broken English. But he has, first of all, he has just a great love for God and for people. He's one of our team leaders for Here's Life uh, Africa. That we Each of the years that we go over, we work with him. And I've had the privilege of being around Michael multiple years. But there's clearly an anointing for healing on Michael's life. He never professes that. He never goes around saying that. You just get it if you're around him. And when you figure out somebody who has an anointing for healing, and you're running a medical clinic that attracts thousands of people every week, you want to know who the people are who have that anointing. And like I said, he's never flashy about it. And it's like, never like he, he's ever going, hey, look at me. I'll pray for you and be healed. You just start catching on. The people that this guy prays for, stuff happens. I'll never forget one of our team members who had gotten very sick one year. Uh, and we're so far back in the bush, there's no hospital to go to. So thankfully, we've got doctors and IVs and different things with us. And so this team member had been so sick for a day or two, been laid out on, on IV stuff and just not doing well at all and just continuing to just be worse, worse, worse. And um, we were really were getting concerned, like, what are we going to do? He, he's to the point he can't even really get off of his cot or anything. He's fading in and out of consciousness. And it's like... Oh, I know what we should do. Let's pray. Where's Michael? Let's bring him in here. Which, I'm just telling you the truth of what it's like. He doesn't speak much English, and I don't speak but about ten words of Swahili. So, when he's praying, it is like trying to drink water out of a fire hydrant. I mean, when he's just this, you know quiet guy and yet when he goes to pray or when he's in a deliverance situation I don't know what in the world he's saying but it's like and I'm like yeah what he's saying some of that bring it he comes in we're like Michael would you come in and pray over Stephen and and Stephen's not even conscious we're really really concerned at this point about him and he comes in he doesn't say anything to anybody else he just goes down and lays his hands on him he's just going to town and I'm like yeah do that, God. Whatever he said, make that happen. He gets through praying in three or four minutes. He gets up, and suddenly Stephen wakes up, and he's like, wow, I feel pretty good. He gets up off his cot, and he is done with being sick. I mean, he just goes back about his business. Goes from can't even stay conscious, get up, go to the bathroom kind of stuff, to I actually feel pretty good. And he's able to just go back and re-engage in camp life. In an earlier year, there was a prayer gathering, and one of the people who was brought in, because there's all kinds of sicknesses that are brought in, it's like one of the New Testament stories. A guy is brought in by friends on kind of a a pallet that they're carrying him in because he's paralyzed from the abdomen down. And in the course of the prayer gathering, he ended up wetting himself because he didn't have any bladder control. He didn't have control of his legs or anything down below. And so... His friends were taking him out to some place to get cleaned up because he had wet himself and, and the blanket and everything. And as they're carrying him out, Michael saw this. And he chased them down and asked them if they would come back in. He, he wanted to be able to pray over him. And he prayed over this guy. And God completely healed him and restored him. The guy's jumping up and taking laps around the room. Friends, that's an anointing for healing that the church needs. We haven't worn that, the need for that out, have we? No, we have not. <laughs> Hospitals and pharmacies have not eliminated the need for that kind of healing. The church has just gotten comfortable sending everybody to the doctor. Don't get me wrong. Doctors are great. Pharmacists are great. My dad is one. You know, Hey, if that will help, great. 
But there is an anointing for healing and it exists within the church. And we need to embrace that. I mean, it's so cool to me to look around the room and to realize there are giftings in this room that haven't even been identified yet. There are anointings for healing in this room that probably haven't been identified yet. He goes on and says, miraculous powers is another one. The word that he uses there is dunameon. It's the, that word dunamis. It's the root word for dynamite. Power. When Jesus in Luke 9 was sending out his followers two by two, the 72, he sent them out two by two. And it says that he gave them power and authority to cast out all evil spirits is the same word. This isn't just the power to perform random miracles. It's, this, it's the power, the anointing from God. We all have authority over the enemy. Some people have a special anointing that even in the face of very difficult strongholds, when they speak and say, in Jesus' name, you get out... The enemy recognizes there is a special anointing and there is an unusual level of power that is unleashed. And people just get set free faster in the presence of this anointing. Boy, I've been around that. I know people who have that kind of anointing. I have authority. I've watched the enemy flee many times when I've prayed over people. I've watched people get well instantly when I've prayed over people. I've seen other people stay sick and die when i prayed over them. But I know other people who have special anointings for healing, for deliverance. And it's what Paul's talking about here. The gift of prophecy. And it may be confusing because it's like, wait a minute, wasn't that in the other list? Yes, it was. But that was talking in terms of, of a basic grace and passion that a person has. When people have the manifestational gift of prophecy at work, where they are now operating at a level where they have a powerful outpouring to speak truth about both the present and the future. This is the point at which prophets have the ability to do what Paul said that we could do. He said the Spirit of God will reveal to you the, the secrets of God, the deep secrets of God, and He will tell you what is to come. When people operate with the manifestation of the Spirit in the area of prophecy, they can speak where they cut like a razor into the, what's happening currently in the culture, but they also have an ability to discern and declare what God is going to do and what is about to happen in history. That's a pretty profound gifting, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing when people stand you know, up and play Nostradamus and they say this really, really vague stuff. That doesn't mean diddly. Stuff that you can turn into anything. No, somebody operating with the gift of prophecy, when they speak, you go, wow, I know what that means. And we're going to know whether or not that comes to pass because that was a clear word. That's how the gift of prophecy operates. And distinguishing between spirits is the ability to recognize that was the Spirit of God that was not. That was a person putting on a show, or that was a demonic spirit empowering that. That was the Spirit of God. Hey, isn't that a, a significant, significant gift within the body to be able to discern what is God and what's not? And then the gift of tongues and of interpreting tongues. Now, this is the one that gets talked about so much, I'm not going to go on at length, but it is worth pointing out. There are three ways that the gift of tongues gets manifest. The first one is the simplest to understand. It's what happened in Acts chapter 2. It is when the Spirit of God enables someone who doesn't know another language to speak in that language. What happened on the day of Pentecost was not some heavenly language being spoken. It was a bunch of Jews who spoke Hebrew or Aramaic 
who were encountering people from around the Mediterranean who did not speak their language, and suddenly the Spirit enabled them to speak the language of these other people. Luke recorded this. He said that the people from these other countries said, how are these people who are from this region speaking about Jesus in our language? They don't know our language. How are they doing this? They are speaking in a human tongue that they've never studied or learned. It's a supernatural enabling. That is one manifestation of the gift of tongues. A second one... It's when somebody stands and declares in the presence of others a prophetic word, a word from God, typically in a language that nobody in the room speaks, ostensibly in a heavenly tongue. And the only way that that is supposed to happen in a, in a gathering for worship or in small group is if somebody can then interpret that. Because the last gift there is manifest that somebody has given... been given a supernatural ability to stand now and interpret that. Now, I I understand. For those who are like just the the ones who, it's all got to click, there's got to be a reason for it, who are going, why do that? Why not just give it to this person in English so everybody understands it? It's to make a point. Oftentimes, God will do that. God will give a prophetic word. And somebody stands and says, thus saith the Lord. God says this about this situation. But sometimes God does it in an unusual way to get our attention. That God may say to George a word in in a tongue that George would never speak. And George is so far outside of his comfort zone to stand and speak in a language that he doesn't know. And George doesn't even know what he's saying. And Mike back here goes, holy smokes, I know what he just said. And stands up and declares that. Now I want to tell you, if George and Mike get up and do that, that ain't George and Mike. That's the Spirit of God. Amen? The wives are in agreement back there. You get what God's doing there. God is leaving no question about whether George was just having kind of a something on his mind and he got up and just spouted off about it. Nope, if George stands up and speaks in a foreign tongue, we're pretty much, we know George. And we're like, I don't think George started drinking this week. I, I think that the Spirit of God must have said something. And the fact that Mike can now stand up and translate that, we better pay careful attention to what's being said here. That's a second way that that's manifest. There is a third way, and it's, it's important, especially for those of us who come from non-charismatic traditions, to get this. And that is what we commonly refer to as a prayer language. And this is just between an individual and God. And again, I know people who come from my background, my kind of background, will say, well, what's the point of that? If you don't even know what you're praying, please don't get weirded out when I say this. But praying in a prayer language is an intimate experience. And trying to understand, well, why would you even want to do that, is very similar to think back to when your mom or your dad, when you were a kid, and they had the talk with you about the birds and the bees. And they were explaining to you about sex. And you kind of went, ooh, why would anybody do that? And they explained, well, you see, babies are are made that way. And so you, you start to file that away and go, okay, So you do that a few times to have a few babies, but that's all that you do that. And they're like, no, you actually do it more than two or three times to make two or three babies. You actually do it more often than that. And they're like, but why would you do that? Well, then you grow up and you experience it and you go, I get why you do that. Because it's tremendously intimate. There's just something wonderful that happens in that exchange. The gift of tongues expressed in a prayer language is much the same way. 
when we pray and we understand what we're saying, okay, we understand we made a baby. You know, we made a spiritual baby. We, we, I knew what I prayed for. I asked God for this and God did it. You know, it's like, oh, that all makes sense. Well, friends, it, it also makes sense when you're praying and the Spirit of God just gives you this unction, this, this drive from inside to connect with God. And there are words coming out of your mouth that don't even sound like words anymore. And something is happening. And you can't even necessarily... Sometimes you can have some sense of what you were praying about. And other times you don't have any clue. All you know is, boy, something profound and intimate just happened. That's what happens when God gives utterance in the form of a heavenly tongue. And you're praying and you don't even know what you're praying. And we don't have to have an interpreter when somebody does that. And when we pray together... Out loud, as a church, there will be people praying in other tongues. Nobody's shouting, screaming, trying to shout down the house. And it's fine for that to happen. If in worship or in small groups somebody speaks in another tongue, the final gift listed. An interpreter has to be present. And if not, that person needs to remain silent. Now let me pause there and ask if you have any questions about what we've just laid out. We good with that? All right. Everybody here has one of the seven motivational gifts. It defines the basic grace that you operate from. But within that context, regardless of what your grace, spiritual grace is, the hand of God manifests the life of the Spirit of God in you, the power of God expressed through you in a variety of ways. Some of those may be identified. A bunch of those we probably haven't identified yet. And many of those may not have been imparted yet. But, oh, God wants to if we're willing to receive Let me say another word before we're done here, and that is Paul goes on in the 14th chapter to let us know that spiritual gifts should be expressed in submission, in order, and in a way that builds up the church. Oh, by the way, let me back up and say one other thing about the list of gifts that were just given. Isn't it interesting to note that of these nine ways that the power of God is poured out that he lists here, almost none of those are platform gifts? Think about that one for a minute. Think about how the typical American church functions, just like we are right now. A bunch of people are sitting and listening, and one guy's standing up doing all the talking. One person is called on for the large, largest portion of when we're together to operate in his gifting, and we're all the, to be on the receiving end of that, and that is the only gift on display right now. And most of the gifts that are listed are not platform gifts. The gift of healing... The gift of deliverance, the gift of faith, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. These are gifts that are supposed to be operational within the body. Where you know, Church has been such a spectator performer experience. When church functions like it's supposed to, the body ministers to the body. And Paul's going to give some definition as to what that looks like when he spells out in chapter 14. When you meet together... Each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Now, I used to read this and think, how in the world would that happen? Especially when a church starts getting pretty big. Church is going to run along, isn't it? By the time everybody here has a psalm, a hymn, a prophecy, a tongue, it's like, whoo, that's going to be a crazy day. Understand, Paul was speaking to a house church kind of experience. And in the ancient church, when they gathered in large group, what's written here doesn't fit or even apply because he puts limitations on how many people speak. You can't have everybody in a large gathering of hundreds of people give a word. It's in the home setting. It's in the small group setting that this applies. So think in those terms. 
primarily when we read this. He says, all these things must be done to build up the church. If some speak in a tongue, let two or three at the most speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. This isn't going to be crazy gobbledygook. We'll, we'll know what's going on. However, if there is no interpreter, they should keep quiet in their meeting. They should speak privately to themselves and to God. And in the case of prophets, let two or three speak and have the rest evaluate what was said. This is an important thing about prophecy is to understand. Prophets, when they operate with the anointing for prophecy, stand and declare the word of the Lord, which is different from interpreting the word of the Lord. It's their job to deliver the message. It is a different thing to interpret that message. And he says when a prophet delivers a word... Everybody gets to hear the word, and you should all evaluate what was said. There's a different deal to say, well, God said this, and here's what I think that means. The prophet is to deliver the word, and everybody is to carefully consider what does that really mean. And if some revelation comes to someone else who is sitting down, the first one should be quiet. You can all prophesy one at a time so that everyone can learn and be encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are under the control of the prophets. It's not like something takes over and you're not in control. God isn't a God of disorder, but of peace. So just three simple truths worth hanging on to there. When God gifts you, that gift and you are to always under be, uh, to be under authority, in submission to authority. All the stuff about, you know... When to do it and when you have to refrain from doing it and be seated. You can tell there's always somebody in authority there who's saying, okay, this person speak. Is there anybody who can interpret that? Thank you for sharing that. There wasn't an interpreter. Would you be seated? Prophet's like, oh, but I've got a word to give. Hold on a minute. Somebody over here is speaking. And, all right, you've got a revelation. You can tell everybody's in submission. It has to be done in a way that builds up the body. Because so many times when churches begin to embrace the gifts of the Spirit... I'm just going to say it straight. The craziest people want to run their mouths the most. Every charismatic church in America, every pastor, understands what I'm talking about. It's like the wackiest, wackiest people who don't have a clue are like, Whoo-hoo, it's open mic night, so I'm going to get up and go off. Well, that ain't going to happen at Freedom Church. Here or in small group, everything's to be done under authority. Everything is to be done in a way that builds up the body. Now, let me say this for clarification. Because we are seeking to embrace all the gifts as a body. A lot of what you just read, the, the small group is going to be the place to think in terms of doing that. Because we're not going to have 100 or 150 people bringing a word on Sunday morning. That's never going to be the way that this plays out. In your small group, you ought to think in these terms. When 8 or 10 of us get together, hey, God's going to speak something through me. Everybody's a participant. I may be sharing a, a psalm. I may be sharing a, a scripture passage. I may be sharing a word. Who knows? God may speak a word in a foreign language. Whatever. But God's going to speak within this little body through each one of us. We each have a part to play. But understand this. He keeps re- referencing the prophetic and how this is to be done in an orderly way. I will define part of the order for us. It didn't originate with me, but I believe it's, it's very... Sound. I'll tell you, I actually first learned this principle from a wonderful little priest who, who ministers right here across the yard from us, Father Phil Chapman. Wonderful little uh, Episcopal, charismatic Episcopal Catholic priest. That's an, go home and think about that combination. 
really interesting. But they embrace all the gifts of the Spirit. And he taught me this principle years ago. He said, when it comes to the prophetic being spoken within the body of Christ, there are three questions that you as the leader have to have addressed. He says, you know, we never let anybody just stand up. and I've got a word from God that's a prophetic word in church without it being cleared through one of the elders first. You have to tell an elder what you're going to say before you stand and say it if you've got a prophetic word. And he said, three questions. First of all, is the person right? Is, is this somebody that we feel like we have some reason to trust or is this some nutball? Secondly, is the word right? Does what they say line up with the truth and seem to be in line with what God is saying or is this something that's out from outer space or from the flesh? And thirdly, is the time right? The person may be right and the word may be right, but it may not be that right now is the moment that's supposed to be delivered. And if you operate in submission, it's okay to say, all right, hey, that's your deal to, to give me the green light on when. God's just given me the word. And if at the end of the service or next week or in my small group, whatever, hey, we operate under authority. And, and we will always operate that way. So we're not like migrating toward chaos. And that's the other thing. It's going to be in order. God doesn't, doesn't create chaos. So we're left with one primary question. What if I don't know what my gifts are? What if I don't see any gifts? What if I feel so lost in this? How do I discern what my gifts are? I'm just going to very, very quickly just rattle them off. Three things. This isn't complicated. The three things that you need to do to discover your spiritual gifts. First of all, ask God to stir up his gifts and to grant you discernment. That's the most important thing. If you want to operate in the fullness of the spirit, you want his power released in you, ask God for that. And ask Him to stir up new gifts, to pour out new gifts on you. If you don't see His giftedness on your life, are you willing to embrace that? The second thing is ask godly people that you trust what they see in you. So many times we won't see what God is doing in us. And the people closest to us can go, man, I just so see God using you in this way. Where many times we're like, wow, I never even realized that. But now that you say it, I guess I do really see God doing that. And the final one is so simple. Get busy serving. It's in the doing that you discover what your giftedness is. Most of the time, you're not likely to discover your giftedness sitting in your bedroom with your hands clasped and looking toward the heavens. Chances are you're going to find your giftedness as you operate within the body, as you get in and serve. Hey, you'll make some mistakes along the way. You'll try some things and go, I stink at that. Don't think I ever want to do that again. Hope those kids will recover from me going in there that week. I was lousy with them. But it's in the doing that you discover how God's at work. And it's in the doing that God expresses his life and power through us. Now let me ask you an honest question. Do you want to see all of the life of the Spirit and all of the gifts of the Spirit be active and at work in Freedom Church? Do you? I do too. I'm glad to hear that. Second half of that question. Are you open to any of those gifts being expressed through you? Let's tell God that. Let's go to him together in prayer. I'm going to invite the praise team to come and join me on stage as we do. Father, we are so grateful for your sovereign work in our lives. You are so good. You lavish your grace on us, and it's out of that grace that we minister, that we love, that we serve. We want to do that well, and we want to do that in the fullness that you desire. Oh, God, we we long for you. We long for your life and all the realities of your kingdom to be expressed among us. 
We pray that here today you would pour out your spirit on us and that you would stir up your gifts within us. I want to just invite you from your heart to just, if this is your prayer, to just say to God, Lord, I want you to fill me with your spirit. And I want your gifts to be operational in me. Help me to see how you've gifted me. And help me to walk in that. Lord, we welcome your work in our lives and we give thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen.